Hi, welcome to the Fast Life with Diabetes podcast. My name is Lucy Fisher. On this podcast, we'll discuss everything related to intermittent fasting and type 1 and type 2 diabetes. We'll share tips and tricks, and we'll reveal some of the challenges that we've all faced as we go through this journey. We'll also have some fascinating guests that will share their stories. Thanks so much for joining. It's going to be a great show. Also, before we get started, I just want to remind you that I am not a doctor. Before beginning an intermittent fasting protocol or making changes to your medication, I highly recommend that you speak to your doctor. Hi everyone, thank you so much for joining today. Today we have on Dr. Vera Tarman. Dr. Tarman is an addictions physician and she is one of the leading experts on food addiction. And I hear food addiction being discussed a lot, a lot from my guests. People will say, I'm a food addict. But I think we're quick to classify ourselves as food addicts without really knowing what it means. On this episode, Dr. Tarman will define what food addiction is, and she'll also talk about how to treat it. And obviously, since this podcast is about fasting, we talk about how you can safely fast if you are a recovering food addict. I think this episode is extremely informative. I learned a lot from listening to her. And if you'd like to know more about her work, I would recommend that you check out her book, Food Junkies. She also has a podcast with the same name. And she has a Facebook group called Sugar Free for Life Support Group, I'm Sweet Enough. She has a very comprehensive website. All of these things will be linked in the show notes. This was a fantastic interview. Dr. Tarman was very generous with her time. We covered a lot of topics. I learned an incredible amount about food addiction, and I know that you will too. So thanks for listening today, and I really hope that you enjoy this episode. Hi, good morning, Dr. Tarman. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Oh, thank you. I'm really glad to be here as well. You really are the expert on food addiction, and it comes up a lot on my podcast in particular with people that have type two diabetes, they frequently say, oh, you know, I I have a food addiction, but I think that people say that, but I don't know if they actually know what that really means. Uh, And I I can't wait for you to kind of define it a little bit better for us. And so people can know if they actually are a food addict or if it's something else that they're dealing with. Before we get into all of that, for those listeners that are not familiar with you and maybe have not read your book, Food Junkies, which I highly recommend or listen to your podcast, Food Junkies, Can you give us a little bit of background about your own personal story? Because I think it's so powerful. Um, Okay, sure. So um, I'm an addictions physician and I've been one for, I guess, over 20, 25 years. And um, like many young women um, in society uh, in my early, early years, I'm telling you a a thumbnail sketch of my private story here, personal story, because it's the engine of my passion, as it is for so many of us in this field. Um, uh, Anyway, I struggled by looking at the mirror and thinking I was fat. I mean, I'm the weight I am now. I was not fat, but I thought I was. Um, And uh, it was all about weight loss and looking the right way. And so I got caught in that whole concept of um, starving, and then I ended up binging and um, eventually uh, developed what in those days, it it wasn't a a popular um, diagnosis at that point, but looked an awful lot like bulimia. And I lived with that for many, many years, and then found ways to sort of move in and out of that place until I discovered the uh, uh, whole paradigm of addiction. And it was uh, uh, like many of us in those days, we had our own personal aha moment. And it was for me one day when I just realized I have to treat this like a drug. Uh, Not all food, but um, specific foods, especially sugar and starchy stuff, uh, refined refined carbohydrates. And when when I treated it like a drug, which meant that I saw this is like my heroin, I'm going to stop using it. Uh, then my cravings diminished. And that's when I got on the bandwagon of let's treat this like a drug. And then since then, more research has come out and uh, more science has validated this concept so that I continue to be on the bandwagon, um, you know, especially trying to talk to doctors who still won't get it um, about this concept of food addiction. Fascinating. Uh, that's that's a great synopsis of how you came into it and, and where you are today. I in listening to your book, I ordered the the audiobook of it. You brought up three types of eaters: a normal eater, an emotional eater, and somebody that has a food addiction. Can you 
go through those real quick? Cause I think, like I said before, a lot of people are quick to say I'm a food addict and maybe yes. they are, maybe they're not. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'll do that. And then there's, it's helpful to say a little bit about the science behind it and particularly for um, this audience, because you're an audience that, uh, you know, delves into the concept of intermittent fasting. And that's where knowing which category you fit into actually is really relevant. So the, the normal eater is the person who is not, they don't have an addiction, they don't have a problem per se. Um, but because of the food industry and the types of the way that the food industry has engineered foods to become highly addictive, they end up eating addictively. Um, but if they stop eating those foods, they, they, um, are not addicts and they could even potentially moderate some of those foods the way that I grew up like I'm older than, than most of most of the listeners probably and you know eating a, a sweet uh, once a week or once every few months is not a problem uh, it, it's it's when it's every day three times a day etc cetera, etc cetera. it's the access that's made it so highly addictive so that's the normal eater and then there's the uh, second category which we would call the uh, psychological eater but that's the category where people um, uh, who have eating disorders like bulimia, binge eating disorder, even anorexia would fit in. And um, there, the focus is not on the food, it's on the psychology. That's why we call it psychological eaters. Um, and by the way, if somebody's listening, you can be all three of these or start at one and move into another, which makes things very, very muddy and very confusing. Um, but it's good to know the foundational sort of three distinct parts. And then there's the third one, which is the food addict. And that's the person where... Um, uh, it's the food itself that stimulates the drive to eat. So certainly living in our environment of today, the food uh, industry, they're just walking targets. But it could be somebody who had a previous alcohol, tobacco uh, addiction, who quits, and then they find sugar, they eat way more than they ever did before, because they're already prone. And those are the folks uh, that I represent the, the food addiction uh, people. Um, and I'll just finish this little piece off by saying that um, the, the whole keto and, and um, uh, intermittent fasting, and uh, wherever there's success there, chances are the person is probably in that first category, a normal eater, deranged by the food industry and once they get out of the way of that and start eating um, real food not not uh, industrial food they're fine um, but if they've morphed into that third category then they're not so fine and that, I guess that's what we'll be talking about in a little while yes absolutely and uh, yeah absolutely we'll be getting into that I, I wanted to ask you because I've heard you throw around a couple of figures in different places what percent of the population is food addicted I was surprised to learn that it was such a high percent of yeah. the population. Okay, so so this is it, it's this is such a good question because um, you, you need to know how to actually identify a food addict scientifically to you know get estimates of or prevalence of, and um, that's a real problem because we're still struggling with getting our name in in uh, sort of the scientific uh, literature. Well, it's actually in the scientific literature, but in the clinical world, like with the DSM five, etc. So until until we actually have a name and 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 a criteria that everybody's using, um, it's it's very hard to actually measure, but we have estimates. Let's just call them estimates. Um, and uh, there is a way to define uh, scientifically uh, a food addiction by using this tool called the Yale Food Inventory. And using that tool, um, people have estimated that anywhere from most conservative estimate is uh, maybe six to 10% of the population. Um, I just read something, I think it was Australia or um, youth, like people under 21, it was like 20%. So if you start looking at specific populations, it goes higher than this 10%. And most of us in the field will say, it's got to be more than 10%. We say 10 to 20%. But if you look in specific populations, like youth, because what are youth eating? They're eating the processed food. And it's essentially like, if you start smoking when you're six years old, 10 years old, uh, you're a smoker before you're 15. Um, whereas I did not uh, start eating this stuff until like voraciously until I was in my 30s and 40s after that uh, uh, dieting episode. Anyway, um, uh, in the uh, obese population and in the diabetic population, we, we can say that it's, uh, we estimate it's around 40 to 50%. And I'm going to say, I don't have any research. This is just me saying this, the Vera Tarman saying this, 
um, that, you know, this whole concept of diabetes is uh, considered part of this larger thing that we call metabolic syndrome. And uh, so metabolic syndrome, the side, not the side effects, but the consequences of that are obesity, our diabetes. And I'm going to say, when we finally get food addiction acknowledged as a medical clinical condition, which we're still struggling with, um, uh, that's going to be part of the uh, metabolic syndrome too, uh, just because it's so high in that population that I wouldn't be surprised if uh, while there's changes happening in, in uh, insulin receptors in the body, there's also changes happening in the dopamine receptors in the brain, which is food addiction. Fascinating. And you know, what's interesting to me is whether you're a food addict or you're not a food addict, treatment right. of type two diabetes is, is pretty much the same thing. Yes. If you want to treat it naturally without having to be on drugs, uh, so maybe you can quickly talk about the treatment that you use for people that have food addiction, and then we can tie it back into to fasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what's interesting is um, I the more we're learning about the diabetic medication, like the latest one, Ozempic, people are using it to treat their diabetes and to weight, lose weight. They're also saying that their um, cravings to eat food are lesser, uh, so that it could potentially be a, a treatment for food addiction. But I'm not going to recommend that. Please, 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 I'm not recommending that. Uh, I, I would say that that kind of medication um, should be used short term, which of course it can't be. It wasn't built for that. Uh, for diabetes. Anyway, my solution, which is what you're asking me, so let's get off of the track, what I don't want to suggest, um, is uh, what we say is identify your trigger food. And this, this means that I am not presenting a specific food plan. Um, I'm saying that you can be uh, um, even plant-based vegan, you can be keto, you can be just regular you probably can't be standard American diet because that's the processed food industry, which is highly triggering. But whatever it is that you're following, um, um, just find what are your trigger foods and remove them. Um, and that often you're going to require uh, a coach, somebody to help you, um, or a nutritionist who is food addiction savvy. Do not go to your local nutritionist or dietitian from the hospital because they're not food addiction savvy. In fact, they don't agree, most of them, unless they're enlightened, I don't agree with that concept. Um, so we're trying to find what the um, highly, highly addictive foods are. And I can tell you from the get-go that sugar is almost universal. So 99.9% .9 sugar is going to be your, your, um, your worst enemy. And then next to that are the refined carbohydrates because that's the food industry. They're literally making foods addictive. So you want to get rid of all of those. And the simplest solution would be, well, first of all, identify your food um, uh, that, that's triggering, remove it, um, and then the simplest way is just eat real food. Um, in other words, uh, uh, don't, don't eat highly processed foods. Just eat like real vegetables, if you can, fruits uh, and whatnot. Now, <clears throat> I do believe, I don't know if you want me to go into this at some point, that there are stages of, of food addiction. And if you're in early stage, you might be able to get away with occasional slips or treats, as it were. But if you're moving along the, 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 the sort of... Uh, chronicity of food addiction, there's a point at which there is no slipping. It's like if you quit smoking, you don't want to have a cigarette standing out there with your friend. Now let's just have a cigarette. You're going to be a smoker again. And similarly with food, you're going to be in a, 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 back into the food, we call it. Your face will be back into the food again. And, and you don't want that. Um, and then uh, at a later stage, even ways of eating, um, uh, for example, uh, grazing throughout the day, I just need to be eating all the time. Um, we would say, no, 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 that's a trigger. So you have to stop that, which is by the way, why I actually do um, agree with the concept of having uh, restricted uh, um, eating times because you do wanna have a break so that you live your life outside of food some period of the time, as well as all of the health benefits. So it changes, it changes. But the, the the key piece is what is the trigger and how do I mitigate that or even remove it? Well, interestingly, the triggers for food addiction also are the same foods that you should probably try to eliminate if you're attempting to reverse type two diabetes. And absolutely. I mean, maybe you can go, I, I've heard you talk about this. You can go kind of in order. You said sugar first and then what else would you say? Uh, well, the, the sugar first, all the refined carbohydrates. Um, I would even go so far now, the plant-based people will get mad at me uh, as saying removing the starchy the starchy um, um, uh, foods and go with the greens. 
Um, uh, uh, fruits are sometimes, it depends on where you are on the spectrum, but because there's so much fructose, I mean, uh, it, it's, it's protected in the fruit. And as long as you're eating the fruit and not, not uh, fruit juice or, or some kind of fruit smoothie, if you just eat fruit, but limit your amount, because it's, I mean, really what we're trying to do is eat the way that we did uh, our ancestors ate many years ago. And we didn't have the abundance of the vegetables that we have, except maybe in the summer. And then not that much. It wasn't as sweet and as abundant. So you want to uh, uh, curb um, anything where there's sugar. And it depends on how far you are along the line, how much you have to uh, curb that. Uh, but so anyway, so sugar for sure, refined carbohydrates, then starchy stuff, then then uh, fruits maybe, or reduce them a lot. Uh, per, like for example, I was only eating blueberries. That's it for a while. And now I've even taken them out because uh, we don't actually really need them. Um, and then uh, sometimes people have to do dairy because of the, uh, of the lactose in there and a lot of people are fine with it, but some are not fine with it. There's actually also um, casomorphine in there, which has a bit of an opiate-like effect. So, and if you're highly sensitive, you can't have that. Uh, so that's that's uh, that's sort of the list. But it's individual. So if somebody's going, I I can eat sweeteners with no problem. Okay, then you can. Uh, but it doesn't mean that you'll be able to eat sweeteners in um, five years. Like some people can't after a while. Um, grains is another one that is in, in that gray area um, that people can eat grains, but I find that over time they have to remove move those two or maybe over chronicity of the disease. Yeah, uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, within the diabetes population, whether mm -hmm. you're type two or you're type one, most people have some sort of continuous glucose monitor. So they yes. can actually see what impact those exactly. foods have on your yeah. blood sugar and it's not good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And as I was saying earlier, I wouldn't be surprised if if one day I'm going I'm to, if I could, I wish I could throw my money on this and bet. Um, one day we're going to use a glu continuous glucose monitor to actually determine food cravings. I mean, this is just out there, but wouldn't that be super interesting? <laughs> Except we already know it's it's that drive to eat. That's our, that's our marker that we know yeah. we're in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and that, that's really the key with, you know, whether you identify as a food addict or not to get rid of those things. And the easiest way, in your opinion, I think in mine too, is just abstinence from those things. Even myself, I, I don't identify as a food actor. If I am, maybe it's very early stage, but eating those keto uh, chocolate bars and things like that, yeah. I, can't, I can't stop. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes, I know. And that that to me, thank you for bringing that up. That to me is a classic example of how the food industry has snuck into what should be our sort of safe areas. Uh, you know, keto, you're kind of reducing as many carbs and refined carbs are just way too high in carbs to be on your meal plan. And nevertheless, they've snuck in there and uh, um, found a way to make it, quote, safe. But of course, it's not safe because it's not just about the grams of sugar. It's the uh, effect in the brain. And that's the food addiction piece. So you may not actually be a food addict, but you are experiencing the addictive lure of foods because you're a human being. Like that's that's their job is to make this happen to you. And they've done it. And, you know, even if my continuous glucose monitor, I'm not seeing an increase in my blood sugar, if if I eat enough of those keto bars, my blood sugar uh, will eventually rise. The volume, the glycemic load will eventually get to me. And yeah. in addition, I can never stop with just a keto protein bar. Then I'm like, well, that piece of cake also looks really good. And it, it's yeah. just, it triggers off so many different things. Exactly. Yeah. It, well, it triggers off dopamine. That's exactly what's happening. Right, right, right. So uh, I definitely want to tie this into, into intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating. Before we do that, um, you know, a lot of people in the intermittent fasting, fasting world, I think most people agree that if you have some sort of eating disorder, which food addiction would be, you should mm -hmm. not fast. And maybe you can talk a little bit about food addiction as an eating disorder and how maybe fasting, if you're, uh, maybe you can also tie it to the stages of, of food addiction and why yeah. fasting in the beginning is maybe not the best idea. Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to make the distinction between um, eating disorder and uh, food addiction again. So uh, although it, 
if we want to make a, a sort of generalized statement, we could say disordered eating. But the the concept of eating distort eating disorder is owned by the people who um, are the psychologists who do the um, uh, the diagnoses of bulimia and binge eating disorder. And and um, we are not the same as them. Uh, and mainly, I mean, I actually think a lot of us are the same people, or we have both. But uh, the eating disorder contingent, the, that sort of professional group, gets very angry um, at our our. Um, um, saying that it's a different dynamic that's happening for us and that there's a different solution. And they actually see us as uh, fallen um, people from the eating disorder, uh, like we're fallen bulimics who are, or fallen anorexic who are um, using the wrong treatment because their focus is it's a psychic issue and we're using food to moderate a psychic issue. So you want to deal with the psychic issue with cognitive therapy or DBT or something that will help. And then, and then you'll be able to eat any foods, including sugar or refined foods. Not, no problem. Um, uh, of course, there's a high recidivism rate. Uh, people get better and then they get worse because I think that there's a food addiction in there, uh, like a sort of, lion in sheep's clothing or something like that, that just disarms um, even the best of a, a eating disorder plan. So the food addicts are saying, it's not about the psychic issue. You can be a happy-go-lucky person and a food addict. Uh, you, you can have no trauma in your life or you can have trauma, you can be, but you, you, you can celebrate and then find yourself caught. There you were, uh, you know, doing really well on your plan, had a keto treat. And was that because of some kind of previous trauma? No, it was because you put something in your mouth that caused um, a, a, what we call a phenomena of craving, which is that dopamine surge, along with your glucose surge. Um, and and um, so, so our solution is to moderate, is to get rid of it, not moderate and not and, and focus on the food first. The, in other words, if a person comes in to see me with, a, with distress, I'm not going to say, let's talk about your trauma. Don't worry about the food. I'm going to say, let's get the food clean. And then you'll have a head that can deal with your trauma so that you don't pick up again. Um, so that's, um, uh, there's our solution. Now with fasting um, uh, in both categories, the eating disorder crowd um, and in the food addiction crowd, we've all had a history of fasting. We didn't call it fasting. That's a term that we use now. Um, I mean, it was a, a term that was used, but much, much, it's become very popular. It was like a religious or very medical procedure many years ago. Um, we just called it starving or taking drugs um, like uh, amphetamines so that we didn't eat. Um, and uh, the problem with that is, uh, here's here's a, a fundamental thing that I think is really important. Um, hunger is a major, major, major um, cue uh, or trigger for overeating. And that's what happens with the bulimic uh, phenomena. And that's also what happens with food addiction. And, and uh, with intermittent fasting, if it's done properly, if it's done with uh, knowledge, First of all, the person is not going to fast after a, a huge carbohydrate meal because they're going to become hypoglycemic and starve and then overeat. That what we want to do is have them on a, um, I, I'm assuming you're going to agree with this, on some sort of a keto plan so that, they, that they, they're already keto adapted or fat adapted. So they're not going through that starving craze uh, that will lead them into a binge. Um, so if you do it willy-nilly, you're going to walk into a danger zone. And yes, eventually you'll be okay, but that's five, three, four days of being really hungry before you're not hungry anymore. Uh, so it's 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 not a good plan um, for a food addict because what is a food addict doing or a bulimic? They're eating the refined carbohydrates and they're going to have a super a, a hypoglycemic crash, which then imprints in the brain um, danger because when you're hungry, hypoglycemic, your instinctual response to freak out and I'm going to eat anything I see and the most energy dense um, is going to become a gut reaction uh, in the same way as the opiate addict when they are now in withdrawal, all they can think about is their drug to stable. They don't want to get high anymore. They just want to feel stable. That food addict is not trying to get high anymore. They just want to feel normal. And um, uh, fasting done willy-nilly, in other words, you don't know what you're doing, you're just trying to lose weight, um, is uh, runs pe puts people into that problem. And that's often why um, what by the time we see people, they've gone through years of dieting or some kind of crazy diet or fasting for a long time or taking drugs for a long time. Um, and 
and and and uh, now they've got this sort of built-in um, kind of like a psychological template that the moment I'm even remotely hungry, oh no, what's going to happen? I got to eat something. Uh, it, it, hyper, it's hyper. It, it it becomes a big trigger, just a psychological trigger, and then a physical trigger for overeating. And that's what I want to. Um, um, that's why I say it's not a good idea. But once the person is um, stable with their food addiction and has learned how to, um, I guess you could say fat adapted, or, you know, I, I don't know, honestly, how you could do this as a vegan, but they do. So I don't know. I, I just, I, I don't know enough about how you can manage proteins well on that diet. Um, so I don't want to speak to that. But anyway, once you learn how to do that, you learn how to manage hunger cues so that you can get past that stage. Um, you might be able to, but it's always going to be um, a, a, a kind of like a picking up a lo I don't know, loaded gun. It's it's a bit of a it's it's a double edged sword. And I would only recommend it for a food addict if they've got diabetes, like you say, uh, like it's used for a medical intervention, and then it's used under the care with somebody else who knows what they're doing. So that's sort of my thought on that. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, just myself having gone through the process of beginning an intermittent fasting protocol, it's it's actually really hard in the beginning. You do feel really, really hungry. And I can only imagine that if you had a diet that was rich in sugar and flour and yes. carbohydrate, you're dealing with detox, like coming off your addiction and yes. also entering something that's very, very hard to do in the beginning. And yes. it's just a setup for failure. Yeah, and that's what happens. It's a setup for failure, and that—that's that, the thing I really am not um, a fan of—is using it as a weight loss tool because it actually ends up being that people will gain weight or develop some kind of disordered eating pattern of some sort because of that. I think I'm—I really think it's a—it's a tool to be used carefully. And and truthfully, it's not a race. The key is clean up your right. diet first. Yes. You know, maybe if you have to eliminate these things slowly over time, the the sugar, the flour, the key is to just to get it done and then yes. begin fasting in a methodical way. Not just saying I'm going to start fasting and do five days of no eating. And I'm going to cut all these sugar and flour yeah. and everything else I'm addicted to at the yeah. same time. I mean, you'll never do it again and you'll just give up. Yeah, that's right. And and also the other thing is that we haven't talked about, but um, I, if you want to, you can, um, maybe I don't, maybe we don't need to with your audience, but you know, there's different versions of what a fast is. And, and, um, even even uh, you know before we had this term time restricted eating uh, fasting just meant prolonged like either days or day or days uh, but now you know people are saying no oh, there's something called intermittent fasting which might be as you know eight um, 12 and 12 or something like that and you know example for a 12 12 hours on eating 12 hours off that's like that's almost standard in the food addiction world. And we don't call that intermittent fasting. We just say you, you have three meals a day with nothing in between. And that's, you know, there's no, no, no concept of snacking. Um, now, of course, time-restricted eating can, can change and it can be 16, eight or something, but that's even possible as well without being triggered, as long as you're not eating highly refined stuff, but you're not, if you're on a food addiction plan, you're, you're, you've, you've removed that stuff. And so, um, it's not quite as hungry making as it were. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's also within the intermittent fasting world, the concept of clean fasting versus dirty fasting with dirty fasting, drinking, you know, diet sodas, for example, during your fast, whereas clean fasting is drinking water, you know, black coffee, green tea, something that doesn't have any yeah. other flavors associated with it. And that's precisely the reason, cause you're not trying to trigger whatever dopamine response you have. So there's actually quite a few addictions yeah. that if, if you have them, you have to work through before you can even begin to think about having a successful fasting protocol. I, I think we're on the same page with that one. I agree with that. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm going to assume that uh, that's why you've got a podcast that you want to be educated about. Well, exactly like this thing of dirty versus clean time restricted versus whatever, like you want to become educated about what that actually means. It doesn't just mean stop eating and then uh, get on the internet to have people help you figure that out because you're going to run into trouble. Right. So become, educated, become educated. Right. Right. And a lot of the people that uh, are listeners of my podcast, mo you know, type two and also type one, you know, when you get a, a, a diagnosis, you know, some, I have guests on my podcast that are uh, late adult onset diabetes for type one and yeah. obviously type twos and type ones that have had it for a long time. Like I have, you, you get that terrible diagnosis and then you start thinking about like, what can I possibly do to 
make my life a little bit better. Type ones, obviously we can never get off insulin. Type twos, mm-hmm. they have that, that opportunity, but they really have to clean up their diet. So, you know, the, it's, it's almost irrelevant whether you're a food addict or not, but I think a lot of the population, like you said, has food addictive tendencies and it's, it's really just the same treatment plan. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And can you speak to the, uh, you know, I, and you said it just now, and I've heard you talk about it before as well, the no snacking component, because I think that's a good way to kind of ease yourself into intermittent fasting after you've dealt with your food addictions. Yeah, um, sure. And then I wouldn't mind you if you could say something for for the people that will be listening on my behalf, what what to do with hunger, because you said that it is hard even without being a food addict. And I'd be interested to know um, what I can then tell my folks. But okay, so um, oh, sorry, can you ask me that question again? Your question? <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, sure. No problem. Uh, I was just talking about snacking and why yes, snacking. not okay, snacking okay. is so important. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so not snacking. So part of it is there's, there's, it, there, we're dealing in food addiction, even though I don't agree with the eating disorder folks that it's mainly about the food with addiction. It's, you know, it's, it's physical and, and psychological and emotional and spiritual. You know, there's, it's all di- dimensions and there is a psychological, psychological dimension. So as I was saying earlier, hunger is a cue for me and I of danger and then I'm going to want to overeat to protect myself as it were um but there are other cues too and just eating itself becomes um uh an addiction in a way uh so we could say it's not food addiction per se eating addiction it's why I like to use the word food addiction instead of in the, in the larger world people say just call it sugar addiction or refined carb addiction and I'll say well it is early days but it becomes food addiction because it manifests also in all sorts of other ways and one of them can be volume addiction. I just need to be eating all the time or feeling full all the time. What's that about? Um, I don't know what that's about. We're still trying to figure out what the physiology behind that is or the psychology behind that is, but it's a thing. We see it in, in our community. People are overeating on good, healthy foods. Why? So, so a part of that is um, if you have periods of designated times, then well, first of all, for people who we see as volume addicts, and truly, I, I'm not going to wish this on anybody who's not going to identify as a volume addict, um, we would actually tell them, not only do you have restricted times that you eat, but you actually have restricted amounts, like you weigh and measure your food. Now, we're not talking about reducing your food to a minimal amount so that you're hungry, but just so that you, because we don't know how what's too much and what's too little, because the addict part of us is saying, you know, that that like in my book that that heaping taste um, table, tablespoon of almond butter in somebody else's eyes would be three heaping ta- tablespoons, but I only see it as one. Or if I'm trying to uh, lose weight, um, uh, that that uh, tablespoon of oil that I'm allowing myself—that's actually only one third of a tea, tea, teaspoon, because we're not able to see it anymore. So we weigh and measure. Um, so our it, all sorts of things can get deranged, not just the taste for foods, but the way that we eat and. Snack Snacking keeps that going because it's that feeling that I always have to be chewing or grinding and you develop a a comfort with that. And then eventually when that comfort, the definition of addiction, which by the way, I should probably tell you, um, is is, um, um, when you depend on something to your detriment. And so that eating all the time, now I need this. I got to eat even when I'm in the doctor's office, even when I'm wherever, uh, it, it, there's something wrong with that picture because, and, and if you tell the person to stop, they can't, you could say they're developing an eating dis, um, addiction or a volume addiction. So snacking um, is a way to promote that uh, and not snacking is a way to not. And then also finally, when you restrict the snacking, how else do I deal with my emotions between my meals? Well, I'm going to learn and it's not going to be through food and snacks. If you're hungry um, uh, two hours after you've eaten something and you want that muffin after breakfast, there's something wrong with your breakfast because that breakfast should have kept you until or or your last meal should have kept you until your next meal. And there's something wrong. Maybe there's not enough protein or fat or um, something that is not holding you uh, until that or the hunger that you have. It's an appropriate hunger that we are built to sustain. Um, um, uh, so I would say when when there's a need to snack. Is it psychological? If it's food, uh, true hunger, look to your previous meal and change that for the next time. And then, it, but it could be psychological. Just, I, I don't know what to do with myself because uh, I'm always used to having a snack at this particular time. And 
now you have to learn another way to do that, which is, that's where the psychology comes in, how to stay clean. Yeah, that's, it's, I like the way that you uh, explain that. And actually the, your question back to me is how do I overcome yeah. hunger or how do I deal with hunger? It's uh, for me too, it's for everybody. Society has trained us. You need three meals a day, plus you need snacks. It's, it's like common knowledge that this yes. is how people eat, you know? So yeah. in order to, you have to be able to, you know, overcome what you've been taught all these years as the appropriate way of going about things. Also, another appropriate way of going about your life is, you know, those, the food pyramid and all these other things that you have to right. kind of unlearn in order to be able to move forward. But when you begin fasting, intermittent fasting, even if you start out on a very light schedule of, you know, a 12, 12 or a 14, yeah. 10 or something like that, where you have a very long eating window, it's still shorter than what you were accustomed to before. And you've told yeah. yourself after this time, I'm not going to eat. So you do have to overcome, you know, some of that stuff. And it, it is hard, just like overcoming a food addiction is very difficult, I'm sure. And you kind of just have to, to talk yourself through it. Now, as a type one diabetic, I have it, uh, it's even more difficult for me because I have exogenous insulin, which at some points will give me hypoglycemia and I have to eat whether mm -hmm. I'm in a fast or not. And unfortunately, the what, things I have to eat are sugar to get yeah. my blood sugar back up. So I'm constantly battling with that. And uh, it's very, very common where, where I'll be in, uh, most of my fasts are anywhere between 19 and 24 hours. I do one meal a day. That's my fasting protocol. And I could be 15, 16 hours into a fast and end up with a low blood sugar and I need to eat two or three glucose tablets. And that spikes my hunger because I've reintroduced yeah. that sugar and I'm yeah. off sugar, but I still have to eat those glucose tablets. So it's a yeah. constant, it's a constant battle, but it, it can be done. The One of the keys I would say is to try to cut out those artificially sweetened drinks, especially in your fast, mm -hmm. um, because you don't want to constantly be triggering your hunger. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that battle is easier fought than the, the reason I personally like intermittent fasting, and I think it's good for people with diabetes, because when you're in your fasting period, you don't have the extra impact of food on your blood sugar, which there's so many different variables on blood sugar. Food is the, the largest one. So if you can take that out of the equation, at least for some period of time, then your blood sugar has a chance to, you know, calm down, whether you're type one and giving yourself insulin or you're type two and, you know, your pancreas is kicking in you know, that fasting period helps you to, to get there. But the reason I like intermittent fasting is because it, and maybe this is true for food addicts, uh, recovering food addicts or people that are early in their spectrum, they're able to, to do some sort of fasting is the decision is, do I eat right now? Or do I not eat right now? It's not, you know, what do I eat? Yes. Right. You know, yes. I think that's the distinction. Yeah. And I know you were about to say, or you were uh, uh, in the line of saying, it's not just food, but you know, I'm imagining it's also poor stress. It's it, I mean, stress or poor sleep. And those are all things that factor in with food addiction as well. I mean, there probably is, like I said, I'm really convinced there's an overlap between the um, hypoglycemic and hyperglycemic and uh, food addiction urges. I just, we just have to find it. Yeah. Right. And yeah, and if you, uh, and I'm sure you have as a physician observed the blood sugars of people that come to you for help with food addiction. Yeah. The biggest uh, trigger for hunger, and obviously there's a dopamine component um, with your patients that you deal with, but for the regular, the normal eating population or people that are maybe emotional eaters, um, but let's say they're just people that are in, in the normal population. The biggest trigger for hunger is let's say you eat something that's high in sugar or flour or something like that. You have a big blood sugar rise. Yeah. And you have the crash that yeah. crash make you hungry. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's absolutely. That's exactly it. Yeah. And that is why um, somebody who's not a food addict can look like a food addict because there's that overlap. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Right. So yeah, the key is to obviously just normalize the blood sugars and then you don't have all this up and down, up and down yeah. so that you can actually keep you know a steady blood sugar and, and be able to live your life without constant thoughts of food yeah now one of the things that um we, we kind of um, jumped ahead and in, into some of this stuff but i think with that your audience is going to want to know about uh you know what does it what does a food addict look like how do i know that i'm one um i should probably um address that because i, I think that'll um 
we just want to get that one in there. Um, yeah, please. So, yeah. So, so if, if we think about what food addiction is, um, addiction itself, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a very complex phenomena, but um, we mostly understand it as a dopamine um, uh, derangement, you know, basically. So, you know, we, we have natural dopamine. Our, our dopamine is uh, our neurochemical of motivation, of desire, of anticipation, of excitement. Um, and it's, we all have it. We, we need it to get by. I mean, we're grooving on our dopamine right now in our conversation, like otherwise we'd be bored and I don't want to do it. Um, so dopamine is, is, is the essence of life of, of, you know, being excited and vibrant in life. But when we take a drug that enhances that like cocaine or sugar, it's like, Whoa, this is fantastic. And then just like the sugar, um, uh, physical uh, rise, uh, you know, insulin goes and then mops it all down. You have this crash. Similarly, when you have a super high rise of dopamine, you have a crash. It really mimics the same kind of pattern as uh, as diabetes. So you go up and you go down. Um, and interestingly enough, um, uh, insulin does have uh, a backdoor connection to uh, dopamine because when you're in a hypoglycemic uh, crash, you're hungry, right? And, and hungry to the point of I'll eat anything, but also you're not just thinking, oh my God, I'm going to die. You're thinking, I want to eat. And you've got fantasies in your head of all these foods that you would normally wouldn't eat. Um, basically, the more hungry you are, the more energy dense your fantasies are. Um, because there's the sugar going down and your, your, your fuel is going down, you're going to die. And if you don't have ketones in the background to help you out, you're in trouble. Um, and so all you're going to be doing is thinking, I want food and I don't want uh, a Brussels sprout. I want to have the biggest chocolate sundae, whatever it is, because that's going to get you up there. Uh, I mean, you're very, uh, you, yourself, uh, Lucien, you're very, um, uh, what do you call it, disciplined, because all you're doing is taking a sugar uh, tablet. Um, but another person would take, like, you know, I want that big thing of juice and whatever else. Um, uh, anyway, why does that happen? Because when the insulin is high and, and the sugar is going down, there's a background connection to uh, dopamine. So that when we're hungry, our dopamine is higher, which is why the hungry you are, the more you think about food and the more you think about the grossest of all foods possible. So that if you're hungry, like at, at, at and hypoglycemic hunger at eight, 10 hours, that's all you can think about. I, I can't interrupt you and 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 say, let's let's get to work. Just forget about that. Just eat uh, or just just work. You can't. All you're thinking about because the dopamine is so high and that actually um, can become its own high, which I think is actually an explanation for anorexia. Um, maybe not the only one, but one, it, because those anorexics, when they're uh, on a run of not eating for days, they're high. Like they, they, they don't want to eat. And, and if you give them food, uh, they're like angry at you in the same way as if I give naloxone to my opiate addict um, who's starting to nod out. Um, it, you know, it, because you're taking away the high. So anyway, there is a dopamine connection and you can get um, hooked on that, which is the other reason why I worry about intermittent fasting for food addicts, because I don't want them to get hooked on that too. It's, it's, you're not, you're, you're starting to use what our natural dopamine is good. Hunger is good uh, when it's normal, appropriate hunger, but when it's out of the realm, just like anything else, um, overeating, whatever, when it's out of the realm, then it starts to become um, uh, a problem. And how do we know it's a problem? So definition of addiction. How do I know it's a problem? Uh, it, 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 we can say that anything is addictive, uh, not just drugs, alcohol, but any behaviors, anything. Um, now, of course, internet gaming, and there's just, there's just more and more on the, on the horizon. If, if you end up craving for it um, beyond normal, like everybody wants to have their meal when it's time, but that's not like you're focusing the whole day um, or uh, it, it becomes dominant in your mind. We call that craving or obsession. That's dopamine that's high up beyond the normal realm. I mean, I enjoy um, interacting with people um, uh, and I look forward to it, but I'm not like, thinking about it all the time and and it's it's dominated other things like there's we have natural when when our dopamine is within the normal realm it it it, it just blends in nicely with the rest of our life um this it takes over so that's obsession and and then that's the first criteria and then the second criteria is um when the brain recognizes i'm in overload um all the time just like with 
sugar and insulin, um, you become insulin resistant. Um, there's so much sugar that the, 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 the cells just either turn down or downregulate or just become demolished. And so you're becoming you're essentially not able to use the uh, uh, the sugar appropriately and it stays in the blood. Similarly with dopamine, you become dopamine resistant. Um, uh, we don't, I think we could call food addiction a dopamine resistance syndrome if we wanted to there are people that use terminology like that but it's not i don't know why that actually would be a better term than sugar addiction but anyway um a, a dopamine uh, deprivation syndrome or i don't know what but anyway um uh, so what happens is is that you then need more to get the same effect so the definition of addiction obsession now you're needing more what do we call that tolerance i become tolerant to the amount that i want and i'm trying to get that extra boost but now my body has i've become resistant to the extra boost so now i need more to get the same effect similarly like the person they're on a, a oral hypoglycemic medication now they need insulin and then they need more like you become tolerant essentially um and so there's a tolerance and then even though you're having more to get the same effect it feels like the same effect, but and nevertheless, it's more like I instead of just having a couple of cookies that were nice, I need a bag of cookies or maybe two bags. Um, it, it only still feels like that first experience of the two cookies, but it was two bags and it's caused the um, negative consequence of two bags, which is uh, weight, weight gain, diabetes, and any other metabolic consequences. Um, so we have impairment, we have obsession, we have tolerance, impairment. And then the final one is you can't stop because you've decided, I've got to stop. I'm now at two bags of cookies and I'm gaining weight like I can't, like I've never seen before. I'm going to stop. And you find if you stop, you're going to crash. Remember that hypoglycemic crash? You're going to crash. You're going to be like, I don't know how to sleep. I don't know what to do. And so now you're stuck. You can't keep using and you can't stop using. That's addiction. That's addiction. So if anybody can relate to that, then that means you've probably progressed to a stage where um, you're going to have to say, you know what, I'm a food addict or I'm a sugar addict or I'm a whatever. I'm going to go through withdrawal like any other drug. Quit smoking. It takes a few weeks before you're, you're back on your feet. Quit Alcohol takes a few weeks, maybe a couple of months. Similarly with sugar, it takes a while. Get off of the damn stuff. Don't pick it up again. And then you will be on the other side. And and uh, then you'll get that freedom that we talk about. But a lot of people are stuck in that in that uh, that circuitry without knowing it. And uh, that's that's uh, anyway, that's that's the definition of addiction. Anybody can relate to that. Join the club. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, uh, there's so many things I want to comment on. The first is through your book. I, I I don't know if I never put the two and two together before, but food addiction is just like any other addiction, drugs, alcohol, yeah. smoke. I mean, it's a, it's the same, like you said, the same dopamine in your system. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, I don't think people necessarily relate the two, but they're exactly the same and they're treated in exactly the same way. Yes, that, exactly. Well, that's that's what we're trying to uh, promote to the medical community, which they don't want to. Uh, most of the population, uh, medical population, doesn't want to hear that. Um, but yes, that's what we're saying. Once you get that concept, like you're saying, you just got that. Um, then it becomes so apparent what you do, and then the solution is so in your face there. And and if you slip back, like you said, you have the little sugar tubes, uh, cubes, and and or candies or whatever, and then and then you uh, um, start to feel hungry. For the food addict, they're also starting to think about, oh God, now you know what? That those three uh, sugar things, I might as well have whatever I want today. I'll start tomorrow, which is addictive thinking, because that's the other thing about any addiction is you got this crazy thinking, what we call stinking thinking in the world that comes with the syndrome. And then you end up justifying the most ridiculous stuff just so you can get your fix, as it were, just like the opiate addict and the uh, other addict. And they too, when they've stopped, will have the same peace of mind that we do. Like it's, it is, it really is the same pattern. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, something else I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, and this is coming from somebody that is just learning more and more about food addiction every single day. And obviously you've been entrenched in this world for many, many years. So yeah. I'm looking at it with fresh eyes. And my initial thought before I finished your book was how do you treat food addiction? Because we all have to eat, but that's yeah. actually, you know, maybe you can speak to that because I think that's the key to the whole thing. 
Yeah. Well, okay. So that's it. Like, remember I was saying earlier, um, I, I'm not promoting a specific plan. It's individual. What are your triggers? Of course you have to eat, but um, it's, I guess it's like saying to the alcoholic who says, well, I have to drink. Well, you don't have to drink alcohol. You drink water. So, so we're not saying that you can't eat foods. In fact, I, I'm saying here, we do want to eat foods. I'm not sure that not eating foods, that's a trigger when you're hungry. Um, but you have to find out what foods are safe for you. And for most of us, for most of us, proteins and fats are pretty safe. Uh, unless you're into the whole uh, volume addiction piece, but that's not usually early days. That's later, later stages. Um, uh, and then you start to find out what carbohydrates can I tolerate? Because some people are more carbohydrate sensitive than others. And I think there's a genetics to that. Like if we look at some of the indigenous populations who have not had our, uh, our history of, 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 of prolonged exposure to carbohydrates through farming and whatnot, I mean, they're used to eating like meat and, and fat that's probably what they should be eating because they, they haven't developed uh, uh, all of the uh, um, adaptations that some people who've been eating uh, vegetables and stuff for, you know, eons and eons. So you have to find out what is your um, tolerance for carbohydrates and then you can eat those. So it, just as a quick, easy answer, I would say, don't go to the supermarket. Well, I mean, don't go to the chain store, go to your local uh, vegetable store and your butchers if you're if you're uh, not a plant-based person um, and can eat that. Um, find out what you can eat there, which is probably most of that stuff. And then you might want to expand and see, uh, um, you might be able to tolerate grains, you might be able to. So of course you're going to eat, but, but you're going to find out what the trigger foods are and remove those. So, so your eating plan will be more limited than the standard American diet. Um, but uh, it actually isn't because once you start eating that stuff, you're going to realize what variation there is, like, you know, in all of the types of fruits, even all of the types of meats that you can eat, there's so much variation that it's not a feeling of deprivation, except in that withdrawal period. There's the deprivation because you're still wedded to the old way um, and you haven't yet learned the new way. And I just want to say as a message of hope for listeners that the new way is liberating because you will love the food that you do eat. It won't be the same and as much, but it'll be uh, it'll be much more um, exquisite. Yes. Uh, and thank you for for stating that, because I do think people, uh, whether you're a food addict or not, and you've received a diabetes diagnosis and, you know, you want to treat it naturally and you're eliminating food from your diet and you're thinking, I can't live like this for the rest of my life. Actually, yeah. you can. Once you yeah. get through, you know, the initial withdrawal periods from those foods, exactly. uh, you know, I, I don't eat carbs. I eat, I eat some fruit, like usually berries and things like that, but not a lot. And I keep a very, very low carb diet. And at first it was hard, but you know, it becomes easier over time. And now I don't think about it at all. Yeah, um, and you probably really enjoy your meals. I do. And I enjoy seeing better blood sugars. I, I it's, yeah. I, I went to somebody's house and, uh, you know, I ate a little bit more than I normally would. And I ate at a later time than I normally would. And my blood sugars were terrible. And I'm just uh, like, this reminds me, this is why I don't do this, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But for, I actually want to bring this back to something which is really important to the diabetes, uh, you know, crowd, which yeah. is the concept of relapse. And I know in the addiction world, it's one day at a time yes. for diabetics. It's the, this concept of relapse, if you relapse and you go back on the sugar and the flour and all the things that got you to where you are, your blood sugar is going to be out of control. Then you're talking about diabetes complications. Can you speak to the importance of the abstinence and maintaining it long-term? Yeah. Well, okay. So relapse, when we have relapse, yes, relapse is pretty um, expected. And part of it is because it's it's a bit of a trial and error. Because like I said, there's not one specific um, plan. Um, I, mean, I guess the most specific plan is to be totally bare bones, like super, super keto or or really intermittent fasting, like just not eating very much. Um, uh, but it's going to be trial and error. So um, because we can't stop eating food and because it's so individual, you're going to have to find. So I would say for sure, um, avoid sugars and uh, refined carbs, number one. But then, you, you know, you want to see, can I eat grains? Can I have rice once in a while? Can I have quinoa, I don't know, whatever, once in a while, or, or, or yogurt once in a while, berries once in a while. Um, and if you find that you can't, like use it as a learning thing. Okay, that's something that is a trigger. I can't have that. Uh, so you would, we would encourage that a person, when they have a relapse, first of all, the relapse doesn't, once, if you're in a community of people who are like-minded, like, like my Facebook group, for example, your podcast, my podcast, uh, you know, it's like, oh, 
damn, I, I had another relapse. It's not like, well, I'm, I'm screwed up. I'm, I, I'm now, I'm diabetic for life. No, you had one surge and complications are not going to amount to much if the, if there's not that many relapses, if it's one or two or three, if it continues, of course. Um, so, so you want to use each relapse as a learning. What is it that I had that kept me going? Was it something psychological? I'm, emo I'm, I'm e eating emotionally. I wasn't even hungry. I wasn't even thinking about food, but I just needed to do something. Um, or was it that there was a food I was fine and now I'm starting, it, it, it maybe that I had a little bit of something and it's not that I now want more of that. I just want more of something because that's do dopamine is non-specific. Once the dopamine is triggered, now I just want something. This is why when people uh, are food addicts, they say, but I can drink alcohol. I say, no, not really, because you have to drink, the dopamine is open and then you're going to want the sugar, you know? So it doesn't matter. Dopamine is non-specific. Once it's peaked, it's ready to go and it's looking for a, it, um, it's hit. Uh, so um, you just find, what was it that peaks the dopamine? It's a learning experience. And if you're in a like-minded community, it's like, well, okay, let's go. And then eventually you learn, and then you have to um, have the feeling like I hear it in your voice. Um, you think, oh, why did I do that again? Like my sugars are high. And I bet when your sugars are high like that, your emotional state is also plummeting because sugar, you know, it's, it, it does that. It affects our emotions. And same, same with food addicts. It's like, um, I don't like how I feel. Like me personally, I've been uh, clean and sober from sugar um, uh, for uh, 15 years, like of everything. Um, and then of grains as well for, I think it's uh, eight years now. And my my recollection of those days is so unhappy. Like I think there is no way that this little bit, I mean, I'll smell something or I'll see a favorite dessert that I used to have and I'll go, oh, no, 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 no. Because I the, the memory of that, thing was is so unpleasant that I don't even want to taste it's not worth it it's just simply not worth it and I like I just think you know what I'll just have a, a, an extra or or I'll just enjoy more something that I'm going to have for my lunch later today or something like that um so so you eventually learn what you have to learn and if you have enough of a I don't want to say it's a commitment we call it in the uh, addiction world hitting bottom I don't want to go to that place again no way uh, so I'll do whatever it is so that I don't go back there. And I know maybe this is the key um, is uh, and, and in the uh, 12, uh, pardon me, in the addiction world, we have 12 steps. And the first step is admitting you're powerless. It's essentially I know that I'm a food addict and this will happen. Um, and the addict mind will say, it's been 15 years, Vera, for God's sakes, I'm sure you can have that pumpkin pie again. But there's something inside of me that has a switch that's turned on that says, I know that that's not true. And I think that's what the food addict, when they get that switch turned on or turned off or whatever it is, that thing has happened. Um, that's usually when long-term um, sobriety uh, carries you through the rest of your life, which I, I see. I love that. It's that's a great message of hope. Yeah. yeah, it is a one day at a time. But that, that's a message. I don't need to say that to myself as much now as I did early days, because it truly is one day at a time. The addict mind will steal you and say, you can't live this way the rest of your life. Um, that's just an addict ploy. It's just part of that repertoire. You just say, I'm not going there. I'm just going to stay clean for today. Um, and then that will carry you through the rest of your life. Yeah. Great message. And I, I love that. And you give a lot of hope. And you know, um, and I know you, you know, I want to be respectful of your time. So I'm gonna ask you one last question, but before I do, hmm. I just want to say, I would always hear people say, oh, you know, I really don't miss these foods and, um, I feel so much better. And I'm just like, is that really true? But it uh -huh. is true. You're it saying it, true. I'm saying it, believe yeah. us. We're not just saying it to say it. It's actually true that yeah. you can live a happy and fulfilled life, even without all these other, you know, trigger yeah. foods that you're eating and, all the time. And not only that, but now when I look at those foods, I actually feel somewhat repugnant. It, it, like I'm I'm an ex-smoker and I used to love smoking. Like I was somebody who loved it, but I had to quit many years ago because it just, I was just phlegmy all the time and having to spit out this crap. It, it was just disgusting. And, but now when I walk by somebody smoking, it's like, ugh. I don't like that stuff. That's how I feel when I see sugar now, like like the really gross stuff at Starbucks, that lineup of people uh, when they go to get their, you know, it's it's the special of the day or whatever. And I think, oh my God, 
I know exactly how they're, 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 how they're feeling now and how they'll feel in a half an hour. And I am so glad I don't feel that way. That's what will happen. It'll be, I'm really enjoying what I'm having, my black coffee and, and whatever uh, that's, that's healthy. And I don't want to go there. <laughs> like the deprivation does go away. It does. Exactly. It really does. And uh, that, that's such a great message. Now for people that uh, want to learn more about this or to, to find help, where can they find you? Um, okay, so I have a Facebook group that that's actually my favorite place to send people now because I'm actually on there too. And I have, I used to I have a face I have a web page called um, um, addictionsunplugged.com. And I have resources there. But truthfully, I put more of my resources now in the Facebook group. And that's called I'm sweet enough sugar free for life. Um, and if you go on there, um, uh, then you can ask for resources, either counselors, coaches, um, you can ask about intermittent fasting and a bunch of people will chime in. Um, uh, uh, and and uh, anyway, there's a lot of resources there. Uh, I have my book, Food Junkies, Recovery from Food Addiction. Please uh, pick that up. Um, we have a wonderful podcast, uh, Food Junkies podcast, where we kind of update the book by uh, interviewing the sort of uh, newest people that we can find that will talk to the concept of food addiction on some level. Um, and uh, is there any other thing? I think that's probably my main. I have a YouTube channel too. So all of my stuff, including this link, eventually when you send it to me, I put everything on there, all of my uh, talks. So there's the YouTube, just Vera Tarman. Fantastic. And I, everything will be linked in the show notes for everybody listening. And I just want to thank you so much for your time and all of the amazing work that you've done. I've learned so, so much about food addiction. And uh, I I just can't thank you enough for for everything that you've done for the listeners of this podcast and, and the world at large. It's just been great. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much for asking me. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, don't forget to rate and review the podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest, please email me at fastlifewithdiabetes at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.